Well, let's get going. I think uh, we've got a few announcements and then we're gonna start this morning with our, um, our worship and, uh, and then do a, a sort of a talk after that. Yeah, so uh, Super Cubit, it's basically um, Brad name of the event, but we basically do men's gift exchange. So the idea is to bring the wrap gift, uh, $30 or less, the gift that you want for yourself, but you disguise as like you buy for somebody else. And what we're going to do, we're going to do white elephant gift exchange, basically virtually. So come join us next Sunday. Uh, it'll be from 5 to 6.30. So hopefully see y'all there. Just to be clear, it's an actual gift. Uh, whoever ends up with it, you'll somehow, yeah, transfer that to them. So, all right, Claudia, you had something? Yeah, we're also, the Focus Transition Chula Group is putting on the donut mingle that we always do. Um, except it's going to be virtually, and that'll be next Sunday before church, so February 21st um, at 1015 right before church, so it's like 45 minutes, so just come, and we're going to have little breakout rooms, and it'll be, we'll have like fun questions to answer and just chat, and this is for college students and non-college student adults out of college, just for everybody to mingle, so bring coffee and donuts and have fun. All right, any other announcements? before we hop on in. So maybe public service announcement. I think most of you guys know this, but during the next couple of days, it's probably a pretty decent idea to have both your cold and hot water dripping from your faucet. Um, I think most people kind of have a sense of that um, at all times, leaving that on so your pipes don't freeze. And if you talk to Ryan, you shouldn't turn your heat above 68 because of power grid failures. Yes, cabinets open. There we go. If you need any further information about that, you can talk to Ryan, our landlord. He will help you. All right, so uh, today we're going to start off with worship, um, partially because wanted to switch things up, partially because some of you just check out at the end. <laughs> uh, and so now we caught you, <laughs> uh, which is not so great to have to catch you for worship. So you need to do some confession on your own about that. Uh, so yeah, we can turn it over to, to Tate slash Aaron slash Troy. Um, so the prompt for worship today is that due to the fall, we have separated person to person. Um, so the songs that I chose for us to sing have to deal with two different separations. The first song is more so about the separation between members of the capital C church. And it's a reminder that it is Jesus who gives us a model of how to treat each other. He's our model and he is our unification. The second song is more so talking about not only how we're separated within the church, but also how we're separated from um, outside the church. And it's a reminder and sort of a prayer that we can be more like Christ to those around us. And the lyrics in the second song, it's called Open Up by the Brilliance. Uh, borrow lines from the Prayer of Peace by St. Francis of Assisi. Um, before we sing, I'm going to read Matthew 5, 23 and 24 and Luke 6, 27 through 36. Matthew says, therefore, if you're offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. Offer, altar. First go and be reconciled to them, then come and offer your gift. Luke 6, 27 through 36 says, but to you who are listening, I say, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. If someone slaps you on one cheek, 
Turn to them the other also. If someone takes your coat, do not withhold your shirt from them. Give to anyone who asks, and if anyone takes what belongs to you, do not demand it back. Do to others as you would have them do to you. If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who are good to you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners do that. And if you lend to those from whom you expect repayment, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners, expecting to be repaid in full. But love your enemies, do good to them, and lend to them without expecting to get anything back. Then your reward will be great, and you will be children of the Most High, because he is kind to the ungrateful and wicked. Be merciful, just as your Father is merciful. So the first song we're going to sing is Jesus at the Center. Jesus at the center of it all. Jesus at the center of it all. From the beginning to the end, it will always be, it's always been you, Jesus. Jesus. Jesus at the center of it all. Jesus at the center of it all. From the beginning to the end, it will always be, it's always been you, Jesus. Jesus, nothing else matters. Nothing in this world will do. Jesus, you're the center, and everything revolves around you, Jesus, you. Jesus, be the center of my life. Jesus, be the center of our lives. From the beginning to the end, always be, it's always been you, Jesus. Jesus, nothing else matters. Nothing in this world will do. Jesus, you're the center, and everything revolves around you. Jesus, you, from my heart to the heavens, Jesus, be the center, it's all around you, yes, it's all about you, from my heart to the heavens, Jesus, be the center, it's all about you, yes, it's all about you. My heart to the heavens, Jesus be the center. It's all about you, yes, it's all about nothing else matters, nothing in this world will do. 
Jesus, you're the center, and everything revolves around you, Jesus, you. So Jesus, be the center of your church. Jesus, be the center of your church. Every knee will bow. Every tongue shall confess you, Jesus, Jesus. And the next song we're going to sing is Open Up by the Brilliance. St. Francis wrote before we break out into groups. Lord, make me an instrument of your peace. Where there is hatred, let me so love. Where there is injury, pardon. Where there is doubt, faith. Where there is despair, hope. Where there is darkness, light. Where there is sadness, joy. O divine master, 
Grant that I may not so much seek to be consoled as to console, to be understood as to understand, to be loved as to love. For it is in giving that we receive, it is in pardoning that we are pardoned. It is in dying that we are born to eternal life. Amen. All right, welcome back. Hey, remember on these worship uh, opportunities, you know, really you're just kind of taking the prompt and there's, there's a couple aspects to this. And I know it's kind of difficult to wrap your mind around sometimes, but the first one is that uh, we are taking some thought based on our topic for the month, which this month is the fall. Last month was creation and trying to kind of speak into that through a song or um, some kind of poem or whatever. And then you're answering those three questions every time, praying and then talking about those, those three prompts. So um, hopefully this is something you're doing on your own as well outside, uh, but we're going to continue to do this until it kind of becomes second nature <laughs> uh, to us. And so, um, yeah, so if you have thoughts about how we're going about that or need to, to ask questions about it, you can certainly talk to any of the staff folks uh, or Grant or Aaron, uh, and that would be helpful. All right, so we're going to talk about miracles today. Um, nature, miracles, the power of God. This is a very difficult topic to cover in 20 to 25 minutes. Uh, so I would recommend you listening to one of the many great songs about miracles, either by ICP or Hot Chocolate. Um, lots of really good information out there about miracles. No, miracles, they're weird, okay? We talk about them in, I think, one of two ways, neither which is always very helpful. A purely rationalistic, uh, we either believe in them or not, <laughs> or try to write them off, or a really emotional way that I need a miracle, uh, and you know I expect God to give it to me. And so I'm going to try to kind of navigate both of those very emotional, rationalistic um, ways of speaking about miracles today. And I really only have one thought. We're going to primarily read scripture today. Um, so I will have, um, I say one thought. I have a few thoughts, but one major point, okay? And, uh, and we're primarily going to read scripture. So I want to first assign that. So we're going to have 2 Kings 4 to 5. So if, if a few people would uh, turn there, we can kind of popcorn it since it's two full chapters. And then Matthew 8. And one person can read that. It's just going to be verse 1 through 16. Okay? And then Isaiah 53. And same thing with that. Um, you can popcorn that one since it's a chapter. So we have quite a bit uh, to read today. And I figured rather than try to give you a whole lot of thoughts about miracles, we just look directly at some specific miracles from the scripture. All right. So I love the Smithsonian channel, although I don't really know how to get it anymore because I don't have Sandra's sling password. I guess I could just buy sling on my own, but who buys their own subscription these days uh, rather than just trading out for them, right? Because um, I think that's the right thing to do. Uh, any of you guys ever heard of a mirage? Yeah, you have, right? But the problem with, is you probably think about a mirage as that like delusional thing that you see in the desert after you've been like walking around where you think there's water. Well, mirage is actually more of a scientific thing. A mirage is simply um, seeing something that is illusion. It's an illusion, all right? And one of the most obvious mirages that most of us see in Texas is the Texas heat uh, mirage uh, based on thermal inversion, right? Where You've got heat coming off the ground and it looks like on the horizon there's actually like water <laughs> you guys have seen this right that you know an asphalt in particular that is a mirage 
Well, many people don't know, but what ultimately sunk the Titanic was a mirage. All right. Now, there was a lot of things and large, you know, uh, transportational accidents like that, planes, boats, whatever. Uh, there are a lot of reasons why those those things go down. But the major reason was on that night, it was such a clear, cold night. Uh, that there was a what what's kind of called an inversional mirage, which means that rather than the, the horizon being lower, which is what we see in the heat coming off, the horizon was actually lifted and was blocking the view of icebergs uh, for you know, almost 30 to 50 miles. And so rather than getting a good 30 minute notice on the iceberg, the spotters uh, only got about a three minute uh, notice. And this simply it was a as a result of an illusion. Literally the iceberg came out of nowhere, all right? And this is a phenomenon that we've only really kind of studied and researched recently. And you can watch this entire thing on the Smithsonian Channel, it's really good. And I know that if it's on TV, it's gotta be accurate. So um but it is it's really kind of an interesting thing so a mirage an illusion a lot of people when they think about miracles uh try to kind of write them off as illusory they're illusions that ultimately happen right so someone gets resurrected from the dead they're not really dead maybe they're just like passed out or in a coma and they come back and then you know ancients called that resurrected uh, there's a magician or an illusionist or mentalist i don't know what he calls himself uh these days named David McGee, and he's actually going to do the Focus Showcase this year, which I'm very excited about. Maybe I shouldn't have shared that with you, and if I did and shouldn't have, don't mention it to anybody, right? Uh, and he's brilliant. I mean, does sleight of hand, does that mentalism stuff that just kind of blows you away. And I was talking to him this last week, and, you know, he says, yeah, magic is kind of the closest we get to miracles uh, because people tend to think of them as a miraculous thing that's actually happening. And of course, he he's himself admits to having become a Christian recently. But the main difference is, is the you know, miracles in the scripture aren't for show. Illusions are. And of course, miracles in the scripture actually happen. <laughs> and what he's doing is not real magic. He's, you know, painting an illusion, something that's sort of happening. Uh, I remember seeing a History Channel documentary, uh, documentary about 10 years ago that was like trying to write off all the plagues of Egypt as being natural phenomenon rather than actual miracles. And so that they were basically these just illusions that happened, um, stuff that was as crazy as like gas uh, rising up from the ground as a result of this. I don't even remember what was happening, but it would kill the firstborn. Uh, because the firstborn uh, was at the highest point in terms of the sleeping arrangement. Just crazy stuff like that. So wherever you are, thinking about miracles in the Old Testament, New Testament, whether these are what seems to the people as illusions, I want to get outside of that debate for a moment and just remind you that while God works in nature, because he's created nature, he can certainly control it in whatever way he wants. Right. And so this argument about whether the miracles are real or not real or can still happen today or can't still happen today, I think, have dominated the conversation about miracles, unfortunately. And I don't want to talk about any of that today because I don't think that's incredibly helpful. Uh, if you find yourself as being someone who um, is on one or the other end of these, either you just simply downright don't believe in miracles. Uh, or you expect that every miracle in scripture couldn't have had natural explanations to it or things like that, you ought to probably get outside of that viewpoint for a moment uh, and recognize the purpose of, of miracles, which is hopefully what I'll explain to you today.
All right. So I think when we think about miracles in the scripture, we often think of God forcing um, things to happen in a moment, whether it's hardening Pharaoh's heart, uh, whatever it is, we often think of God trying to do something, snapping his fingers, and something happens, something changes. And that that's the sort of power uh, that we relate to God. But I want us to think about that in a very different light today, um, that the power that God has isn't through his ability to control nature or to uh, overcome natural things. Uh, think about the, um, what happens when the, the sorceress Simon asks Peter for the, the power to put the Holy Spirit on people <laughs> and how much Peter rebukes him. Uh, he's asking for a good thing, right? He just wants to kind of give people the Holy Spirit. Um, but there's something that he misses in the point of the sort of miraculous gifting of the Holy Spirit. God's power, rather than being a moment snapping his fingers trying to control nature, is the power to bridge the gap between what he has created and him being the creator. That is the power of God. Okay, and I'm trying to make more sense into this uh, as we use these scriptures. That is, his power is to speak into, feel into, experience life along with his creation. It's ultimately about relationship. That's the miraculous. That's the power of God. And if you look through some of these miracles, what you'll see is God is not trying to snap his fingers and do something immediately and change circumstances. He's trying to make clear that he understands people's pain, their problems, and it will come alongside them uh, to help bring something good out of that. So again, the power of God is to bridge the gap between what he's created and himself being the creator. It's about relationship. Think about that for a moment, and I'm not a parent. I've gotten myself into a lot of trouble in cohort lately trying to talk as a parent, so I'm going to be really clear that I don't know anything. But I do know that even the best parents can't fully get inside their children's minds to think, feel, and experience what they're experiencing, even though technically we've created them, however you want to think about that. God has that ability and uses it on a regular basis, and that's powerful. That is miraculous. And you see this throughout the miracles as they're described in both the Old Testament and New Testament, that through miracles, God bears our infirmities, as Isaiah will say at the end. He takes on our pain and does something really amazing and miraculous out of that. John 14, when Thomas and Philip are both doubting uh, that they've seen the Father, remember what Jesus tells them. You know, how many times am I going to have to, to remind you, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Believe at least in the miracles, which is later translated by the um, NIV as the works themselves, which he goes on to say that you're going to do those works and more of them. But he downplays these miracles because he says, I've been with you this entire time. The whole purpose of the miracle was to help you see that God wants a relationship with you. And here I am in relationship with you. But of course, they wanted more. They wanted, you know, some snap of the fingers, God to do something. It would completely be evidenced by it. And yet Jesus is saying the evidence of the miracles themselves is the starting place for relationship with God, not at all the end point 
um, at all. So I'll, we'll come back to this as we read through these stories, but I want you to read through and think through these stories as God using miracles um, to um, sort of make his presence known, to, to you know, help people understand that he cares for them, is concerned from them. And I want you to watch a couple things, all right, in these miracles, because there's about five or six of them. One, how close does God get to the person? Okay, because closeness is certainly an indicator of relationship. So how close does he get? Whether it's Elisha, which we're going to read about in Second Kings, how close uh, does he get and why? All right. Number two, what does he expect in return for these miracles? And number three, how does it benefit him, if at all? doing these miracles okay so we're going to read through these we're going to popcorn second kings four through five i might stop you know just to kind of make sense out of them um but uh yeah let's go whoever wants to read first let's do it second kings four and we're going to read all the way four and five. Second kings four the wife of a man from the company of the prophets cried out to alicia your servant my husband is dead and you know that he revered the lord but now his creditor is coming to take my two boys as his slaves. Elisha replied to her, how can I help you? Tell me what you have in your house. Your servant has nothing there at all, she said, except a small jar of olive oil. Elisha said, go around and ask, for all, ask all your neighbors for empty jars. Don't ask for just a few. Then go inside and shut the door behind you and your sons. Pour oil into all the jars and as each is filled, put it to one side. She left him and shut the door behind her and her sons. They brought the jars to her and she kept pouring. When all the jars were full, she said to her son, bring me another one. But he replied, there's not a jar left. Then the oil stopped flowing. So she went and told the man of God, and he said, go sell the oil and pay your debts. You and your sons can live on what is left. One day, Elisha went to Shumen and a well-to-do woman was there who urged him to stay for a meal. So whenever he came by, he stopped there to eat. She said to her husband, I know that this man who often comes our way is a holy man of God. Let's make a small room on the roof and put it, and put in it a bed and a table, a chair and a lamp for him. Then he can stay there whenever he comes to us. One day when Elisha came, he went up to his room and lay down there. He said to his servant, Gehaz, call the Shumanite. So he called her and she stood before him. Elisha said to him, tell her, you have gone to all this trouble for us. Now, what can be done for you? Can we speak on your behalf to the king or the commander of the army? She replied, I have a home among my own people. What can be done for her? Elisha asked. Gehaz said, she has no son and her husband is old. Then Elisha said, call her. So he called her and he stood in the doorway. About this time next year, Elisha said, you will hold a son in your hand. No, my Lord, she objected. Please, man of God, don't mislead your servant. But the woman became pregnant and the next year about the same time she gave birth to a son, just as Elisha had told her. The child grew and one day he went out to his father, who was with the reapers. He said to his father, my head, my head. 
his father told the servant, carry him to his mother. After the servant had lifted him up and carried him to his mother, the boy sat on her lap until noon, and then he died. She went up and laid him on the bed of the man of God, then shut the door and went out. She called her husband and said, please send me one of the servants and a donkey so I can go to the man of God quickly and return. Why go to him today? He asked. It's not the new moon or the Sabbath. It's all right, she said. She saddled the donkey and said to her servant, lead on, don't slow down for me unless I tell you. So she set out and came to the man of God at Mount Carmel. When he saw her in the distance, the man of God said to his servant Gehazi, look, there's the Shunammite, run to meet her and ask her, are you all right? Is your husband all right? Is your child all right? Everything is all right, she said. When she reached the man of God at the mountain, she took hold of his feet. Gehazi, came over to push her away, but the man of God said, leave her alone. She is in bitter distress, but the Lord has hidden it from me and has not told me why. Did I ask you for a son, my Lord? She said, didn't I tell you don't raise my hopes? Elisha said to Gehazi, tuck your, tuck your, cloak, into your cloak into your belt, take my staff in your hand and run. If you meet anyone, do not greet him. And if anyone greets you, do not answer lay my staff on the boy's face. But the child's mother said, as surely as the Lord lives and as you live, I will not leave you. So he got up and followed her. Gehazi went on ahead and laid the staff on the boy's face, but there was no response. So Gehazi went back to meet Elijah and told him the boy has not awakened. When Elijah reached the house, there was the boy lying dead on his couch. He went in, shut the door on the two of them, and prayed to the Lord. Then he got on the bed and lay on the boy, mouth to mouth, eyes to eyes, hands to hands. As he stretched himself out on him, the boy's body grew warm. Elijah turned away and walked back and forth in the room, and then got on the bed and stretched him out on him once more. The boy sneezed seven times and opened his eyes. Elijah summoned Gehazi and said, Call the Shunammite. And he said, and he did. When she came, he said, take your son. She came in, fell at his feet, and bowed to the ground. Then she took her son and went out. And Elisha came again to Gilgal when there was a famine in the land. And as the sons of the prophets were sitting before him, he said to his servant, set on the large pot and boil stew for the sons of the prophets. One of them went out into the field to gather herbs and found a wild vine and gathered from it his lap full of wild gourds and came and cut them up into the pot of stew, not knowing what they were. And they poured out some of the mint and they poured out for some of the men to eat. But while they were eating of the stew, they cried out, O oh man of God, there is death in the pot. And they could not eat it. He said, then bring flour. And he threw it into the pot and said, pour some out for the men and they may eat. And there was no harm in the pot. A man came from Baal Shalashash, bringing the man of God bread from the first fruits, 20 loaves of barley and fresh ears of grain in his sack. And Elisha said, give to the men that they may eat. But his servants said, how can I set this before a hundred men? So he repeated, 
Give them to the men that they may eat, for thus says the Lord, they shall eat and have some left. So he set it before them, and they ate and had some left, according to the word of the Lord. Now Naaman was commander of the army of the king of Aram. He was a great man in the sight of his master and highly regarded, because through him the Lord had given victory to Aram. He was a valiant soldier, but he had leprosy. Now bands of raiders from Aram had gone out and had taken captive a young girl from Israel, and she served Naaman's wife. She said to her mistress, if only my master would see the prophet who is in Samaria, he would cure him of his leprosy. Naaman went to his master and told him what the girl from Israel had said. By all means, go, the king of Aram replied. I will send a letter to the king of Israel. So Naaman left, taking with him 10 talents of silver, 6,000 shekels of gold, and 10 sets of clothing. The letter he took to the king of Israel read, with this letter, I am sending my servant Naaman to you, so that you may cure him of his leprosy. As soon as the king of Israel read the letter, he tore his robes and said, Am I God? Can I kill and bring back to life? Why does this fellow send someone to me to be cured of his leprosy? See how he's trying to pick a quarrel with me? When Elisha, the man of God, heard that the king of Israel had torn his robes, he sent him this message. Why have you torn your robes? Have the, men, have the man come to me, and he will know that there is a prophet in Israel. So Naaman went with his horses and chariots and stopped at the door of Elisha's house. Elisha sent a messenger to say to him, go wash yourself seven times in the Jordan and your flesh will be restored and you will be cleansed. But Naaman went away angry and said, I thought that he would surely come out to me and stand and call in the name of the Lord his God, wave his hand over the spot and cure me of my leprosy. Are not Abana and uh, Farpar the rivers of Damascus better than any of the waters of Israel? Couldn't I wash in them and be cleansed? So he turned and went off in rage. Naaman's servants went to him and said, my father, if the prophet had told you to do some great thing, would you have not done it? How much more then when he tells you, wash and be cleansed? So he went down, dipped himself in the Jordan seven times as the man of God had told him, and his flesh was restored, and he became clean like that of a young boy. Then Naaman and all his attendants went back to the man of God. He stood before him and said, now I know that there is no God in all the world except in Israel. Please accept now a gift from your servant. The prophet answered, as surely as the Lord lives, who I, whom I serve, I will not accept a thing. And even though Naaman urged him, he refused. If you will not, said Naaman, please let me, your servant, be given as much earth as a pair of mules can carry. For your servant will never again make burnt offerings and sacrifices to any other God but the Lord. But may the Lord forgive your servant for this one thing. When my master enters the temple of Rimon to bow down, he is leaning on my arm, and I have to bow there also. When I bow down in the temple of Rimon, may the Lord forgive your servant for this. Go in peace, Elisha said. After Naaman had traveled some distance, Gehazi, the servant of Elisha, the man of God, said to himself, my master was too easy on Naaman. This Aramean, by not accepting from him what he, what he brought. As surely as the Lord lives, I will run after him and get something from him. So Gehazi hurried after Naaman. When Naaman saw him running toward him, he got down from the chariot to meet him. Is everything all right, he asked. Everything is all right, Gehazi answered. My master sent me to say, sent me to say, two young men from the company of the prophets have just come 
to me from the hill of Ephraim. Please give them a talent of silver and set two sets of clothing. By all means, take two talents, said Naaman. He urged Gehazi to accept them and then tied up the two talents of silver in two bags with two sets of clothing. He gave them two of his servants and they carried them ahead of Gehazi. When Gehazi came to the hill, he took the things from the servant and put them away in the house. He sent the men away and they left. When he went in and stood before his master, Elisha asked him, where have you been, Gehazi? Your servant didn't go anywhere, Gehazi answered. But Elisha said to him, was not my spirit with you when the man got down from his chariot to meet you? Is this the time to take money or to accept clothes or olive groves and vineyards or flocks and herds or male and female slaves? Naaman's leprosy will cling to you and to your descendants forever. Then Gehazi went from Elisha's presence and his skin was leprous. It had become as white as snow. I know this is a lot uh, to take in, but I want you to notice, and particularly if you go back through these stories and think through them, just how powerful and amazing this is. That God would go to such lengths to send his man of God to a Shunammite lady <laughs> who itself is insane uh, just because she offered him a bed would not only give him a son, but bring his son back to life by that weird moment of mouth to mouth, hands to hands, a symbol of, of him being close to God would take care of a widow and her olive jars and yet would turn away a wealthy man from another nation, not even come, let him come close, just tell him to go wash and then get incredibly upset that, um, you know, his servant goes and gets something reasonable from him. Uh, you'll see in what we're talking about in, in these stories as you move from the Old Testament to the New Testament is God is with those who are insignificant and often turns away the proud. And his point of these miracles, the same in the Old Testament as the New Testament, is to show his people his closeness to them and his care and concern for their most, you know, uh, basic needs and basic wants. It wasn't about showing off. It wasn't about showing how powerful it wasn't about making a name. Uh, it was the exact same in the Old Testament as it was the New. And we're going to read one of those uh, here in um, John 14, not John 14. I can't even, where's my passage here? Oh, hello. Someone has it, I think. Okay, Matthew 8. Yeah. So let's read Matthew 8 and then Isaiah 53. And we'll wrap up. I'll read it. Um, Matthew 8. So when Jesus came down from the mountainside, large crowds followed him. A man with leprosy came and knelt before him and said, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man. I am willing, he said, be clean. Immediately, he was cleansed of his leprosy. Then Jesus said to him, See that you don't tell anyone, but go, show yourself to the priest, and offer the gift Moses commanded as a testimony to them. When Jesus had entered Capernaum, a centurion came to him, asking for help. Lord, he said, my servant lies at home paralyzed, suffering terribly. Jesus said to him, Shall I come and heal him? The centurion replied, Lord, I do not deserve to have you come under my roof, but just say the word and my servant will be healed. For I myself am a man under authority with soldiers under me. I tell this one, go, and he goes, and that one, come, and he comes. I say to my servant, do this, and he does it. 
When Jesus heard this, he was amazed and said to those following him, Truly I tell you, I have not found anyone in Israel with such great faith. I say to you that many will come from the east and the west and will take their places at the feast with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. But the subjects of the kingdom will be thrown outside into the darkness, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then Jesus said to the centurion, Go, let it be done just as you believed it would. And his servant was healed at that moment. When Jesus came into Peter's house, he saw Peter's mother-in-law lying in bed with a fever. He touched her hand and the fever left her, and she got up and began to wait on him. When evening came, many who were demon-possessed were brought to him, and he drove out the spirits with a word and healed all the sick. Sorry, and the last part here, which leads us to Isaiah 53, this was to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet Isaiah. He took up our infirmities and bore our diseases. So we're going to finish here with Isaiah 53. But I hope you get this sense um, that Jesus is near and close to the most unlikely of people, that he would touch a man with leprosy when he simply could have healed him from afar, which is why this centurion story comes right after <laughs> to make it clear he could have healed him from afar, um, but didn't need to, um, wanted to, to be, uh, wanted to, to have a sort of specific message to this man of, of uh, that had this disease that most people would not have wanted to be around. And whether it was a skin disease or Hansen's disease, um, you know, which is what happens with leprosy, it's still a really powerful story. By the way, and I have to mention this because I forgot it, uh, it's that story we read in Naaman about God going to, uh, or Elisha going to the woman that gets Jesus thrown out of uh, Nazareth the first time he tells that story and they're ready to kill him. <laughs> So that tells you how powerful a story this would have been to them. Um, I think that does. So let's read Isaiah 53, and then we'll close with that. You know, the scripture is basically saying here that Jesus comes, does his miracles, heals people, uh, so that he can fulfill this, uh, this prophecy in, in Isaiah 53, among others, um, to show us who God is and why um, we can believe through his works and miracles that he cares for us. So the Isaiah 53. Thing, yeah, let's read the whole thing. We're going to end from that. Who has believed our message and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? He grew up before him like a tender shoot and like a root out of dry ground. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him, nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering and familiar with pain. Like one from whom people hide their faces, he was despised and we held him in low esteem. Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering, yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions, he was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before its shearers is silent, so he did not open his mouth. By oppression and judgment, he was taken away, yet who of his generation protested? For he was cut off in the land of the living. For the transgression of my people, he was punished. He was assigned a grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death, though he had done no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth. Yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer. And, the Lord, and though the Lord makes his life an offering for sin, 
he will see his offspring and prolong his days, and the will of the Lord will prosper in his hand. After he has suffered, he will see the light of life and be satisfied by his knowledge. My righteous servant will justify many, and he will bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will give him a portion among the great, and he will divide the spoils with the strong, because he poured out his life unto death when was numbered with the transgressors for he bore the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors guys that is the power and the miracle of god that he cares enough about us to do what he's done the miracle of the cross is just that that god cares about his creation and is close the lowly the humble and the brokenhearted and that's really, really amazing. And that's really the purpose of miracles from the Old Testament to the New. It wasn't to show that God was this, you know, um, amazingly powerful illusionist magician can blow our minds. It was to help people understand one by one uh, how much he cared and was concerned for them. Any questions about this, this before we pray and close off? Just the idea of miracles and, you know, his power over nature. There's so many other things we could obviously talk about here. Uh, that we haven't, but I did want to just make sure we kind of open up for questions considering we mostly read scripture today and didn't do a whole lot of explaining. I have one. Yeah. When we were reading about um, Elisha, yeah, when, when we were reading that series of miracles, so many of those were like, oh, that sounds a lot like what Jesus did. And I think if I knew the scriptures the way the early church did, I would have heard those stories about Jesus and thought, oh, that sounds like Elisha. So I, it made me wonder, like, what the significance is of Jesus being like Elisha. Is there anything you can flesh out there? Yeah, if you go through the New Testament over and over again, it's very clear from the beginning by Jesus doing what he's done and referencing these miracles that he's showing himself as a prophet. And he needed to do that somewhat quickly, I think, in order to kind of reveal the big reveal, which was, yeah, not only am I a prophet, I'm actually God. <laughs> so I think that was what really helped uh, hurt um, not hurt, was a stumbling point for a lot of people. They were ready and willing to believe of him as a prophet, um, but not as the son of God himself. And that's why I think what's ultimately happening, even when he talks to you know Philip and Thomas in John 14, where he's saying, can you not just at least believe in the miracle? I've gone way farther and surpassed any of the other prophets in the Old Testament. Can you at least not just see that that is a basis enough to believe I'm something more than just a prophet? Um, because they're saying, of course, show us the Father, show us the Father, and he's saying, have you not been with me enough? The whole purpose of these miracles is to, to you know, bring you closer to relationship with me, and here I am. I don't know if that helps or makes sense, but a lot of these are callbacks, right? I mean, that's one of the reasons we read the uh, one at the very end there about, uh, you know, producing more loaves. Other questions about miracles, nature miracles, power of God? All right, I'm going to say a prayer, and then uh, we'll be done. Lord, we thank you so much for just your love and concern for us. We can't possibly understand it. It doesn't even make complete sense. Um, but we ask that uh, you would continually open our eyes to what you've done, the miracles that you have manifest in our own lives and the lives of people around us. We wouldn't take those for granted, and that we would see you and feel your closeness with them. And we love you, Lord. Amen.
Yep. And just as a reminder, we've got these the sermon series kind of laid out for you on the um, Facebook. So you're welcome to go back through that. We haven't done such a good job of scriptural references this time for you to go back and think through them. Um, but I'll try my best to, to do a better job or we will try our best to do a better job so you can prepare ahead of time. All righty. So let's we'll be talking next week. And we've got some guest speakers coming up. So thanks, y'all. Be safe. Thanks for joining us for our sermon podcast. We would love for you to join us on Sunday morning or in one of our small groups during the week. And you can get more information about that at DentonNorthChurch.com.